listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Today we're going to begin a new three-week series called Part of the Plan. Part of the Plan. Just look at somebody and say, it's all part of the plan. Look at somebody on the other side and tell them, say, it's all part of the plan. It is all part of the plan. Let me tell you this, church, wherever you're at in life, whatever you've got going on, it's part of the plan. God has not forsaken you. Amen? Amen. God's got you. God's got you, and I promise you, God is there with you right now, and I hope by the end of this message today, you're going to understand that. Amen? Amen. I said amen. Amen. There was a middle-aged woman that had a heart attack, and she was taken to the hospital. While she was on the operating table, she had a near-death experience, and she saw God. And seeing God, she asked, she says, God, is my time up? And God responded and said, no, you have another 43 years, two months, and eight days left to live. 43 years, two months, and eight days. Upon hearing this, the woman decided to stay in the hospital and have some elective surgeries. She got a facelift, liposuction. She even got a tummy tuck. She even had someone come in and, and color her hair and give her a whole new hairdo. You see, she had time to live and she knew it. So she figured that she might as well make the most of it and look her very best. She was released from the hospital and while she was trying to cross the street to go home, she got hit by a car and it killed her. Arriving in front of God, she demanded, she said, I thought you said I had another 43 years. What happened? Why didn't you pull me from out in front of that car? God replied, I'm sorry. I didn't recognize you. (laughs) There's an old Yiddish proverb that says, we plan, God laughs. We plan, God laughs. Maybe you've heard it like this. If you want to make God laugh, tell him about your plans. In other words, You can plan your whole life out, church, but God reserves the right to change your plans at any moment that he wants to. Like, he doesn't have to consult with you. He doesn't have to ask you. God doesn't even have to forewarn you. Like, at any moment that God wants to, he can pull the rug out from underneath you. He is sovereign, and he reserves that right. Now, now here's what I want you to understand about that, though. He does not do this to punish us. That's not a kind and loving God. That's not what he's doing. God does not do this to punish us or or, or not to offer unnecessary cruelty upon our lives, but rather God does this. He often changes our plans to show his glory in and through our lives. Like God will put you in situations that that no one else will be able to get the glory for it. Like he will put you in a position that he and he alone receives the glory for what he does in and through your life. As I said, God is sovereign. And his plans often put our lives in a place of obscurity that, that brings, uh, our success will bring him the glory. Uh, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2 with me. And, and some of you that know your Bibles, you're like, are you sure? You know, that, that might be a typo. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Um, b- before you check your calendar to see what month it is, let me assure you that there is purpose in using these Christmas scriptures in September. It's not Christmas in September. 
Okay? How many of you already have Christmas music playing already? Good, good. So we, we, none of us do. We, we're all on the same page with this. It is not Christmas in September. Besides the fact, however, and, and this, this could be intentional, but it's not, that, that maybe I would want to inspire our business leaders to feel the Christmas spirit and partner with Buy a Tree, Change a Life. I mean, maybe, maybe someone could say, that's why you're doing this, but it's not. There's a greater purpose in what God wants to say to us today through these verses from Luke chapter 2, which many would call the Christmas story. So Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, a multi- was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. I love the fact that Jesus was born in a small town. It it gives me a lot of hope because I live in Newberry, Florida. Newberry, Florida. And when I read in Scripture that Our Savior, Jesus, was born in the small town of Bethlehem. It just, it it blesses me. We sing about it at Christmas time. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. We sing about this little town called Bethlehem. This little town of Bethlehem was the birthplace of the Messiah, the one who would come and redeem Israel. God chose for the Messiah to be born in the small town of Bethlehem. Out of all the places on earth where he could have been born, he chose this small town found six miles south of Jerusalem. Mandy and I have had the opportunity to, to go there, and, and I don't want to offend anyone in the room, but I will tell you, it, it was the place that I, I least liked the most in all of Israel. Everywhere that we went, we went uh, almost the whole country of Israel. I did not like Bethlehem. It's nasty. It is dirty. It, it, the, there's graffiti over everything, walls, buildings. It, it's just, it's not the place that I would have picked for my Savior to be born. I, and, and I know that it's, it's come a long way. 
But think about this. No doubt Jerusalem had better restaurants. I'm certain it had better hospitals. And yes, more ends with vacancies. It just would have been a better place for the Son of God to be born. Nevertheless, the first cry of the Son of God was heard from a stable in that little town of Bethlehem. As some of you are aware, this week I signed a contract for my book, Big Dreams in a Small Town, to be published. Thank you. Thank you. Hold on. Hold on. This is not a shameless plug as it will not be released until January. Okay? I will give a shameless plug in January. Okay? I reserve that right. In researching for this book, I discovered a few things. Not only was Jesus born in a small town, but Jesus was raised in a small town. He was not raised in Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem. But Jesus was raised in a small town by the city of Na- uh, called Nazareth. Through excavation, archaeologists have determined that the population of Nazareth was probably between two and 400 people at the time of Christ. As they have dug deep, they have looked at how many houses were there, how many places that people would have been able to stay, shop, live, you know, commerce, all of that. And they determined that two to 400 people most likely lived there, not the 78,000 that live in Bethlehem today. With only two to 400 people living in Bethlehem, like most small towns, everyone in Nazareth knew what everyone else in Nazareth did. It's called the grapevine, right? Word travels fast. All you have to do is you do one thing wrong, and if the, the community is only two to 400 people, by lunch, everyone in Nazareth is going to know what you did, right? This is how it works. And you don't believe me? I can probably say something from this pulpit right now. And, and by the end of lunch, we're probably, it, it'll be all over Facebook. You know, it, it travels fast. Even without social media, in a town that, that small, everyone else knows all of your business. And it was most likely a relatively new community at the time of Christ because it's never mentioned in the Old Testament. You don't hear about the little town of Nazareth in the Old Testament. So it was probably a, a new village. In the New Testament, Nazareth was not considered a place of significance by any means. Nazareth was the the small rural community that was often the butt of the joke. If you remember, when when Philip was trying to recruit Nathaniel to come and be a disciple of Christ, Nathaniel responded with, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That was his response to Philip. Are you sure? The Messiah? The Son of God? Jesus? He's from Nazareth? Can anything good come out? It, it kind of works like this for us. Dixie County? Can anything good come out of Dixie? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Do we have anybody from Dixie County here? I'm so sorry. I'm a horrible, horrible person. I really am. Listen, I grew up in Taylor County, Perry, and it's just too fresh right now. I can't pick on my own city right now, okay? So that's why I go there. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Still, God chose to use Nazareth and its citizens to help raise his son. Because you know that's how it works, right? If, if you grow up in a small town, everybody's got the right to spank you. Everybody's got the right to correct you. It takes a village in a small town. 
It's one of the perks, but it's also, it's one of the negatives also. Because, like I said, everybody knows your business. Everybody knows when your child has done wrong in a small town. But God chose Nazareth and its citizens to help raise his son. It was the hometown of the one who would save humanity from its sin. God chose Nazareth, a small town. Even if Jesus would have been born and raised in the larger city of Jerusalem, the significance of the mission, think about this, the gospel, the spread of the gospel, the significance of the mission would have been better suited from a larger city like Rome. Now, let me tell you the way your pastor thinks. I try my best to set us up for success in every strategic move that we make. If I'm planning on the gospel, the good news, to go forth from a centralized place and spread out, I'm not picking Bethlehem, I'm not picking Nazareth, I'm going to Rome. Because there was a saying back then, all roads lead to Rome. Really what it meant was, all roads lead, leave from Rome. That's the way that it works. So I would have picked Rome. It's estimated that the population of Jerusalem at the time of Christ was between 25,000 and 100,000, depending on which commentary that you're reading. 25,000 to 100,000. I know there's a big swing, big difference there, but, but it doesn't compare to Rome. Rome had over one million citizens. If I'm going to start a movement, that's where I'm going. It's, it's a bigger, bigger pool. More fish. If I'm going to be fishers of men, I'm going to the bigger lake. I'm going to the bigger pond. I'm going to go to Rome or, or maybe Athens. Athens had over a million if you count their suburbs. Or maybe Alexandria. Alexandria was reported to have over a million people living there also. Even Baghdad. Baghdad was one of the first cities on this planet to host one million people living there. If I'm God, and I'm not, but if I'm God, I don't need an amen from you. My wife. If I'm God, I'm not picking Bethlehem or Nazareth to start this thing, to start a worldwide movement. Bethlehem and Nazareth, they, they do not seem like the best locations. It would seem that a, a larger metropolis would set us up for greater success. Left up to human arrangements, church, this is not how we would have planned it. I wouldn't have done it. You wouldn't have done it. It's not the way that it works. But often God specializes in putting us in less than ideal situations so that his plan displays his glory. Because when you start small... And this thing catches hold like wildfire and begins to grow. You don't have a choice but to give God the glory in this movement. We know it's a God thing because simply of the way that it has spread. God specializes in putting us in less than ideal situations. And, and I hope you're, 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 you're catching what I'm trying to deliver right now because it doesn't have to be a physical place. It might be a physical place for you. It has been a physical place for me at times. It might be a physical place. It, it, it might just be mentally where you're at. And for some of you, it can be spiritually where you're at too. This place of obscurity. 
a place of, of desolation. It feels like you're lost. It feels like you're forgotten. God, why am I here? But God specializes in putting us in circumstances like that simply because when it is fixed, when it is made right, and trust me, everything in, in God's timing is made right, everything. And in his timing, God just wants the glory. He wants to know that no one else is going to get the glory. He and he alone will get the glory. Psalm 119 and verse 91 says, your regulations remain true to this day. Listen to this. For everything serves your plans. Somebody say everything. Everything serves your plans. Romans 8 and 28, you get to the New Testament and, and, and it said like this. And we know that God causes everything. Somebody say everything. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You know, it, it's, it's been studied by more preachers and pastors than just me. But every time you go and look up that word everything, some of your Bibles will say all there, and you go back and you look it up in the, in the Greek or even the Old Testament in the Hebrew. Every time you look up everything and all, you know what it means? Everything and all. That's exactly what it means. It's, it's, you, cannot, you cannot compartmentalize this. You've got to understand that everything in your life, everything that you've gone through, everything that you're going through, it's part of the plan. It, it's not easy when you're in the middle of the battle. When you get on the other side of it and you're victorious, you're like, oh, I see God all in it. But when you're in the middle of the battle, you don't see it. You don't understand it. And someone, you need to be reminded today that God has not forsaken you. God has not forgotten you. That God has a plan and his thoughts are towards you right now. When it comes to the blessings of God, Proximity to population is not as important as, as proximity to his presence. Find yourself near God. Proximity to resources is not as important as proximity to his hand of provision. Proximity to ideal circumstances is not as important as proximity to Christ. Find yourself in his presence and I promise you that everything else is going to work out according to his plan. Staying close to God is the most, uh, 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 it, when we are in the most obscure places in life, it gives you the advantage. Church, we've got to learn, got to learn to stay in his presence when we find ourselves in these desolate places. You, you can't forget Gideon. In the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, we read about Gideon self-described as the weakest limb of the family tree from the weakest family in Manasseh. When God called him, his response to God, God was calling him to lead an army against the Midianites. When God called him, his response to God was, me? I am the weakest in my family from the, from, from, from the, the weakest of all of my relatives in the entire tribe of Manasseh. Are you sure? Me? And if you know the story, God uses him to defeat the Midianite army but God dwindled his army down. Why? So that God could get the glory. It was 300 men of Israel against 135,000 Midianites. I, I did the math for you. It's 450 to 1. For every 450 Midianites, there was one Israelite. And God used Gideon, the weakest of his tribe, the weakest of his family, to lead Israel to victory. Maybe, maybe you know the story of, of young David, the shepherd boy. David was 
the youngest shepherd of the family, tending what his brother Eliab said was a few sheep. That's what he said. David, where are your few sheep? On the day that the search committee met to, to anoint the next king of Israel, when the prophet shows up at Jesse's house, and he says, God has led me here because the next king of Israel comes from your roof. Line up your sons. They line all of Jesse's sons up. And the prophet goes down the line and he gets to the end. He says, I don't understand. I know it's from this household, but none of, none of your sons, none of them are the next king of Israel. Do you have any more? And bless his heart, David wasn't even invited to the party. He said, yeah, I've got one more out tending his few sheep. Let's send for him. He sends him, and you know the story. He was anointed to be the next king of Israel. Not only did David defeat Goliath, but he also led Israel as their greatest military leader, killing tens of thousands. That's what they would say about David. They would sing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And under his direction, the kingdom of Israel would expand its territory greatly under King David. And guess where he came from? A little town called Bethlehem. Don't underestimate the season of obscurity that God may have you in. Church, this is a time of preparation when you find yourself there. And God will take you to places that you don't understand to prepare you for the place where he wants you to be. But you're not there yet. I know what this feels like. I, I completely understand your thoughts. I, I know where your heart is at in all this because I know what it feels like when you feel like you've been banished. Like you've been sent to the back 40. We saw this played out with Moses. Running for his life. He leaves Egypt. He finds a wife. He tends the flocks for his, his father-in-law. He is minding his own business out in no man's land when God shows up in a burning bush and calls him to be the deliverer for, for the Israelites to bring the Hebrews out of Egypt. And God would use him to bring hundreds of thousands, if not millions, out of Egypt and to the threshold of the promised land. Church, God will take you to places that you don't understand. Sometimes it is the back 40. And you don't get it, you don't understand it, but there he is preparing you for the place where he wants you to be, but you're not there yet. You might not be in the best occupational position. Your job does not look like what you dreamed it would. You might not be working for the leading company. You would have better opportunities if you worked for a better company. Or, or maybe you do work for the best company, but there's so many people that work there that you can't shine. There's no opportunity for you to shine, and you get overlooked constantly. You might not be in the best social position. Maybe you know uh, um, that, that if, if you knew the right people, that you could move forward in your career, or if you knew the right people, you could just move forward in life in general, but, but you're not in those social groups, and you feel like you're being passed by. You might not be in the best relationship. Your marriage may not be what you dreamed it would be. At this point in your life, you just thought it would be better than this, or maybe you're not married at all, and you just can't find Mr. or Mrs. Right. Let me tell you something. Don't you settle. Don't you settle. Because God's got you in a place of preparation and he's probably preparing people, and we'll get to that next week, but he's preparing others to come and be a part of the plan for your life also. It's all part of the plan, church. And if your life feels like you've been banished, 
to obscurity. Just understand you might be exactly where God wants you to be in this moment in your life. I like how the psalmist said it in Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8. He said, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. He said, if I go up to heaven, you are there. He said, if I go down to the grave, you are there. I love the outlook on life that the psalmist had. And church, this is more than just motivational speech. This is more than a, than a TED talk, okay? This church, this is truth from God's word that, that no matter where we go in life, no matter where life finds us, no matter what place we may be in physically, mentally, spiritually, no matter where we're at, the promise is God is right there with you. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. God is there with you in that moment. Don't lose hope. You must believe that no matter where he has you, he's there with you. And church, if he can conquer the world from Bethlehem, think about this. If he can conquer the world from Bethlehem, I assure you that he can do what he wants to do with your life from your current position. Your current coordinates. God can take you and do exactly what he wants to do with your life, but you've got to trust him and you've got to know that he's there with you. I have learned to realize that with God, timing is always more important than location. That is more true in my life today than ever before. I have learned that timing is more important than location as it relates to God. Jesus was confined to a relatively small geographical area. Most scholars believe that he did not travel outside of a 100-mile radius from where he was born. 100 mile radius. Monday I left for Cleveland, Tennessee. I came home, unpacked Wednesday night, repacked and left Thursday morning for Tampa. I mean, don't, don't correct me on this, but I probably traveled this week probably six or seven times farther than Jesus did his entire life. Is that not crazy? But yet somehow, some way, the gospel of Jesus Christ found its way into my heart. Somehow, some way, it found you. Even though he never walked outside of a 100-mile radius. But timing is what's more important than location as it relates to the kingdom of God. Let me show you. At the time of the birth of Christ, the Romans were building the most advanced system of roadways that the world had ever seen. And they were originally built to advance the Roman army into areas of conflict quickly. If you're going to conquer the world, let's learn to get our troops there fast. Hold on to that. Because thanks to Alexander the Great before the Romans, the Greek language had become the most common world language with Koine Greek being the language of the New Testament. So let me tell you what the timing of all that looks like. If you're going to allow your son, the son of God, to be born at any particular time, it was the perfect time. Because they had roadways and they had a common language. And from Israel, from this small little part of the planet, it would begin 
to soar. As it began to cover the world so that his glory could be revealed. You see, it didn't matter where Jesus was born. It didn't matter where Jesus was raised. God set the stage for the gospel to spread throughout the known world at just the right time. Now, I need you to understand, I wouldn't hurt you for the world. What I'm about to say, I I really need you to listen closely to me because I I wouldn't want to hurt anyone in this room. And I, I need you to understand, I know I'm right where God wants me. But if given the choice, Newberry, Florida would have never been where I would have planted a church. We had just spent seven years in Tampa. Let me tell you, the difference between life in Tampa and Newberry. And, And our kids, they were in elementary school at the time. They adapted. They were fine. Mom and dad... Mandy and Rocky, on the other hand, we, we struggled because it was a change of pace. It was slow. I don't want to hurt you, but you're slow compared to Tampa, okay? It, it was just different. And probably the understatement of the year. God knew exactly what he was doing. I would have planted a church in a larger area, more people. That's what most church planters do. They find where the population is at, and that's where you go and you plant a church. I don't have time to get into the whole story. But through a fleece that I laid out before God, God, I need to be certain. I need to be sure. God denied a certain, a certain area. It just, it, and here's what I always say about laying a fleece out. If you're going to be brave enough to lay it out, you've got to be brave enough to obey it. And sometimes it's yes and sometimes it's no. And God just, just, he didn't answer. Therefore, his answer to me was no. That's not where I want you to plant a church. So it was back to the drawing board when the door opened for us to come to Newberry. And the fleece was answered here. God, we need a building rent-free for six months. And God said, It's in Newberry, Florida. Here you go. And it wasn't much to look at. It looks a whole lot better today that a preschool was there than it did when we had it. It's not what I would have chosen. I can tell you this. The timing of all of that, we planted a church in a small town as the economy was crashing. We opened the doors in September of 2006. The economy was on the verge of collapsing and it did and it was the best thing that could have happened to this young pastor young then not now it was the best thing the best thing because we learned how to create a church budget with limited resources and when other churches over the next two years as other churches were laying staff members off we were hiring staff members God was bringing people in from all over. I could have easily looked at my assignment and been discouraged and thought, God, why are you punishing me? Like no church planner ever dreams of going to a one red light town and planning a church. 
It's just not, it's not, it, it breaks all the rules of church planning. God, why are you punishing me? And I'll tell you this, about five or six months into it, I questioned God a little bit. And I had to come to grips with it. And I was like, okay, God, if you want me to pastor a small church in a small town, you're going to have to give me the strength to do it because this is, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I thought this would look like. But a small town assignment has blossomed into a church where we, not me, we are making a worldwide impact because of God's faithfulness. And and it was all part of the plan. All part of the plan. God knew exactly what he was doing. He knew how he had to prepare me. He knew how he had to prepare you. He knew who he had to add to the dream. He knew all of that. And God's plan, it is all coming together. And, and church, we are just beginning. But I'm letting you know, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever life looks like, I, I, I have to get you to believe it's all part of the plan. God hasn't forgotten you. It's all part of the plan. You might feel like you're spiritually forsaken. God has not forgotten, and he's not offended by that. He's not mad at you. I could tell you this. Just because you don't feel the presence of God right now doesn't mean that God's not there with you right now, and he's got grace for that. He'll cover that. He'll cover that. And, And when he makes it all right, you will fall back in love with God more than you ever have, and you will accept the love, the forgiveness, and the grace, and the mercy of Christ more than you ever have in your life, and you'll love it, and you'll appreciate it. It's all part of the plan. Wherever God has you right now, it's all part of the plan. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org. 